Welcome to Now Appalachia. The Appalachian region covers 13 states in the U.S. and over 25 million people call the region home. This podcast profiles the authors and publishers with connections to Appalachia and how the region influences and impacts their creative work. And now, here's your host, author and Appalachian resident, Elliot Parker. And hello, friends, and welcome once again to another episode of Now Appalachia. We are broadcast and distributed by the authors on the Air Global Radio Network. I'm your host, Elliot Parker. It's great to have you with us as we continue to profile the outstanding authors from the Appalachian region and talk about how the region influences and impacts their works. And we have got an outstanding Appalachian author with us today. She is out with a brand new poetry collection that you are going to want to be sure to check out. It is called Splinter. Our guest is Susan Odell Underwood, and she is a native of East Tennessee. She has lived there most of her life. She is the now-retired director of the creative writing program at Carson Newman University. Prior to Splinter, she has published one earlier collection of poetry called The Book of Awe, and also a novel called Genesis Road, and two chapbooks as well. Her poems and fiction have appeared in journals and anthologies, such as A Southern Poetry Anthology in Tennessee, Oxford American, Alaska Quarterly Review, Tupelo Quarterly, as well as Still the Journal. And I'm so delighted to have her on the program to talk to us about this great new collection of poetry, as well as her outstanding novel, Genesis Road. So Susan, welcome to the program. Uh, So glad to have you here. And I should start out by saying congratulations on your retirement after 33 years from Carson Newman. So welcome to the show and happy, happy retirement. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Delighted to have you here, and uh, I just, uh, there's so many things I want to ask you about your poetry collection, because there's just so much really rich writing and wonderful uh, storytelling that's in that collection, but before we get to that, I wanted to talk about uh, your novel, uh, Genesis Road, which came out in 2022, uh, about a year ago, before this collection came out, Um, and this was my first exposure to to you and and to your writing, and I just really loved the story and I I love what was going on here. And it's basically a novel uh, that examines whether a a road trip across America, a literal road trip across America uh, with a a woman named Glenna Daniels, whose life is really a big mess for lack of a better uh, (laughs) expression. Uh, She's going on this road trip with a gay friend and can that road trip and can he help her put her life back together? Can you talk to us a little bit about, about that novel, uh, what's going on in it, and, and why you decided to write that? Yeah, I, I'm always klutzy at this because you don't want to have any spoilers for people. But uh, yeah, I, I feel like the shortest shorthand when I'm kind of joking around with people, I tell them that this is this novel is Appalachia meets America. <laughs> I, um the book kind of got inspired by a friend of mine who had a rougher life than I've had her. I know it's a stereotype, but her dad really did run moonshine out of Cock County, you know, in East Tennessee. Um, but I couldn't, you know, she, she told me some stories about her life, but the very first trip, my husband and I went out West a driving trip in 1994. And we were a real similar age to Glenna. We were already in our thirties. The first time we took a big road trip all the way to California and back. And we were just about at the Genesis road exit there in Tennessee. And I thought, Oh, I need to have her, you know, if I can have a character who's gone through some terrible things 
and then have the kind of journey that I've just had, which had just been gobsmacking. There is nothing like being in a car for 30 days with, with one other person, uh, you know, to let you know you really love them and you really can have a great marriage, but uh, it's going to have some rocky times. So I just pictured her and a friend uh, and this friend kind of grew out of just thinking about who would be the best companion for her. Well, somebody from childhood, you know, a really close friend. Um, I, I know that that the novel is rough for a lot of people, maybe who surely if they've read Demon Copperhead, though, by Barbara King Solver, oh. they can handle the ideas of uh, childhood abuse, childhood trauma, those kinds of things. But with my novel having that those flashbacks, Glenna has pretty much, you know, the linear narrative is the road journey, them going from national park to cities, seeing across America. And then she has, of course, these flashbacks of her childhood and traumatic times with a very troubled family. So uh, it's a kind of back and forth in that way. I, I like that rocking. Honestly, just writing the novel felt like I almost could feel the pace of it back and forth. But I think that that's how we live in our memories. Uh, you know, we have our day-to-day, -day. we teach like you do, and we um, have times with our parents or our families, but then there are certain times of day when something just hits us from a place that we used to live or somebody that we used to know, and you never know when those memories are going to hit you. So I do like that the narrative flow of the novel is kind of like, you know, you you live in your own mind and in your own experience in some ways. Absolutely. And you were talking about, you know, those memories that help us remember someone from our past, and hopefully it's a pleasant experience, but sometimes yeah. we think about that person and we have maybe not had pleasant experiences yep. with them, but, um, you know, for some reason, if, for me at least, you know, when I have a memory or a thought, usually it's it's something good about that person, even if they had done something terrible. But for me, it's always a smell. It's like the smell of someone's yes. cologne or the smell of a car inside of a car or something that'll just remind me, oh yeah, that was what so-and-so used to wear. Or that was the kind of, uh, you know, that was the kind of cufflink so-and-so would put on their suit, you know, just all these different mm -hmm. kinds of, of smells and images. And, uh, you know, I wanted to add, just to kind of sum up the novel, I won't give too much away here, but we talked about Glenda Daniels, kind of her backstory is she's been married three times before. She's got a third divorce that's upcoming. Um, she's been trying to get pregnant for a long time and she ends up having a miscarriage. And then meanwhile, um, her friend that she picks up, her friend uh, Carrie from, from, from high school, um, uh, who's now a, a history professor, has lost, you know, his husband, Stan, uh, in a previous uh, uh, set of circumstances. And so as you were talking about, they 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 go on this road trip together. But I, I wanted to ask you about the, the the theme of healing, because I really feel like that at the end of your novel, we, we see that both of these characters find healing. And I wanted to ask you a, about that, about about that that theme of healing. And I don't want to, you know, give away kind of how the novel ends, but yeah. you know, th there's a moment there where I, I feel like the, the healing begins for both Glenna and for uh, Carrie. And can you, can you talk a little bit about that, about, about what happens there, you know, without giving too much away, what happens there, but, but that theme of healing and where it really begins for these two characters. Cause I feel like that sets up kind of the, 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 the end of the story, because we, we see the healing process for both of these people who've suffered so much really start. 
Yeah. First of all, just a large view. I'm just a sucker for a redemption story. You know, maybe it's my Southern upbringing. I don't know, but I've just always been drawn to movies, short stories, novels that have a, a redemptive ending. And so I knew, I knew early on that I wanted that. So that I don't, I don't think that's a spoiler or, or anything like that. But yeah, Glenna has kept this miscarriage a secret. And I knew that it, you know, to, to really reckon with anything in her long ago past and the rough relationship with her dad or any of her husbands or relations that she would have to tell the, what to her probably seems like the worst thing that's ever happened to her. And that's, that's losing, um, losing a pregnancy really early on. Um, so yeah, the, the healing between her and Carrie, she did not like his partner Stan at all. <laughs> so they've been estranged for a while. A couple of, of editors that I came close to publishing with and some readers early on told me that Glenna should go cross country by herself. And I just couldn't picture that. I knew she needed, uh, everybody needs a sidekick in a good Western or a good a good road trip like that. So um, I didn't want all the story to be hers. I feel like Carrie really balances things. And when she comes to understand um, his grieving process, I think that's when they're in Yosemite National Park. And Yosemite was a huge... Um, just magnificent. If any, you know, if, if your any of your audience has been to Yosemite, it's a very healing place. And so I thought that a lot of that could start. I think that it really starts revving up there, her understanding of what Carrie has gone through. Um, and then also when they get to the Rockies, I knew that that would be the climactic moment where um, the redemption as, as a healing, as you call it, or kind of a, um, a lucid sort of transcendent moment could happen in that kind of natural setting in the Rockies. Um, yeah. And so they, their friendship is completely healed. Um, and, and Glenna finds her way. We don't know exactly how, but is she, is she going to make it work at home when she goes home with her mother, who she has also had a Rocky relationship, but also comes to some good, feelings with her mom. There's a real mother-daughter story that's a thread through a lot of that. And I, I really worked hard on the, the healing there too. Excellent. It's a terrific novel and I encourage our audience to check it out. It's called Genesis Road, but uh, we had you here to talk about your new poetry collection because it's <laughs> just terrific and outstanding as well. It's Thanks. called Splinter. Uh, it was published by Madville Publishing. Um, you know, th there's so many things I, I like ab about this collection because it it is so much um, sort of an expose or kind of a, a a deep look into Appalachia and kind of the the signs and symbols of Appalachia, both its past and kind of where it fits into the 21st century. And I love how in all of these poems, we are learning through through the narrator and the speaker and the people involved how how things change, how how voices change, how lives change, how circumstances change uh, as these people have to grow and adapt. And I wanted to ask you about one of my favorite poems in the collection. Uh, it comes later on, and I should mention that your your poetry book is uh, it has eighty one pages in it. It's divided up into four different sections. And the poem, one of my favorites that came in the fourth section under gentrification, which is titled Gentrification, was Assimilation. 
And I felt like when I was thinking about one of the, the, the that that theme of 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 Appalachia and its place in the 21st century and people having to change and adapt, it reminded that poem. I think spoke to that so well um, because it reminded me of of what I've experienced as an Appalachian when you go to uh, another part of the country or a big city and you start speaking. And the Absolutely. first thing they say is, where are you from, Georgia? Where are you from, uh, <laughs> Alabama? Where do you live or from? And, and I they wrote down. They always try to guess, don't they? <laughs> they do. They do. And I wrote down next to your poem. I took some notes on this and I wrote down in your poem, uh, uh, and, and pardon the pejorative here, where in the hell are you from? <laughs> that, that is the question that uh, when I got to the end of the poem, I kept thinking, well, gosh, that's really kind of the central question that that that, that this this poem is dealing with is where the hell are you from and, and and why did you leave and why are you here so can you talk to us a little bit about about those themes about you know Appalachia and and, and the change of people's voice and lives that take place in your collection and talk to us a little bit about assimilation and how that how those themes are kind of revealed a little bit in that poem yeah and I, I may have picked you know large words for things that you know we, we're we're in some tender cultural times but uh, a lot of people may not understand that the first poem is called diaspora and i really do hope with a poem like that and with assimilation that people will understand there are subcultures in the united states where people feel like they're not part of the the majority in some ways they do feel um not to pitch a pity party or anything like that. I don't think any of these poems do that. I really hope they don't cry victimization or anything like that. And I wanted the same in the novel for Glenna that she stands on her own. Appalachians are um, a, a rugged, you know, very, very resilient people. And I think even people two or three generations removed who've lived somewhere else, they're rugged. Assimilation for me, um, I just, I think about my connection with other people who have to assimilate, but also it's a common, I mean, you and I were giggling. It's just a shorthand. It becomes the poem. It, it has some humor at the end um, or maybe all the way through it for some people where, you know, I've had a lot of people who read this poem and just say, oh, I, that resonates with me so much. I totally get that where I have to kind of shape shift or code shift or become somebody I'm not, you know, or uh, um, go home and I can talk to my mamma on the phone and let my real accent come through. So a lot of time, I mean, the, the poem makes a big deal about that it's just in the accent or just in the voice, but there are so many other ways. The clothes that we wear, the um, the people that we associate ourselves with who maybe are so, so dissimilar to people that we grew up with in Appalachia, the people who raised us. Would they even, I mean, the book asks a few times, would they even people in my past who raised me, my ancestors, would they even understand me now? And I think I'd love to hear, speak about assimilation. I'd love to hear a recording of myself from when I was about nine or 10. I think I would sound so different to myself now. Um, I talk to students a lot uh, um, around here. They come from places like Hamblin County, Morristown, Rogersville, Newport, they do not sound like the kids I knew from Newport and Rogersville when I was in school. We have not only assimilated individually, 
we have assimilated as a culture in Appalachia. So I do hope that these poems, that one in particular, seems to have struck a nerve with you. So I hope that'll happen with others. Yes. And I wanted to go back to the, uh, to kind of pick up on some of that, uh, what you were saying there, the first poem in the collection, Holler, which um, is, I'm just going to read the first couple lines and, and, and ask you something about that. It says, I saw the best minds of my generation outsourced, exported from the mountain south, lured by the shiny metropolis, seduced by suburban retail and big salaries and common ground with people who never heard of Appalachia or who pronounce it wrong. My cousins hightailed it out of here, the epidemiologist in San Francisco, curator of master drawings in Rome, the librarian, corporate lawyer, NASA consultant, geneticist, marine biologist, the naval officer in Hawaii. Um, I wanted to ask you, what what are we losing as a culture, um, as a workforce, as uh, from a literary standpoint, when we see this migration, when we see the, these people leaving the region for those reasons that you touch on at the beginning of Holler? And and what kind of a lasting impact do you feel like that has? Because I feel like the the themes of beauty and darkness pop up a lot in a lot of your poems. And oh, yeah. there's certainly beauty and darkness in, in Holler. But uh, what, what, what is our region, what is Appalachia losing from that? You know, sometimes it's called brain drain. Sometimes it's called a lot yeah. of different things. But yeah. what do you feel like culturally, uh, workforce, literary, what, what are we losing from this? Because you've, you, you, like me, have lived in Appalachia your whole life and, and we've seen this go on. What do you think from, from your perspective are we losing by this happening? Yeah, I was only away for six years during grad school, and I feel so fortunate that I was able to use my mind to what I feel like is maybe beyond my capacity some days. I'm sure my students would say I was on my mental tiptoes some days, but um, very few people in my generation, and, and you're younger than I am, but I saw so many people who probably would like to have stayed near family, but they also knew, you know, we're in a capitalist society. Appalachians are um, maybe a, a subculture or an underculture, but we were raised by people who went through the depression in a very depressed area. And we were told like, reach for the stars, reach for your fullest potential, use that brain. And those, t those are um, combative issues to, to want to stay quote unquote, home, to stay with your home people in a small, you know, maybe rural setting for some people or even a small town, but also to like want to teach college or become like I've, I've listed what my cousins do there. Um, personally, for me, this poem, that may be the biggest pity party right there. And it, it's kind of funny in some ways, but all of my cousins, except for a couple of us, and one of them retired back here. So she even left for quite a while. Um, you know, you're talking dozens of people I knew. If you get into all the second cousins and their kids. And uh, so for me, it's a loss of family for me, you know, and friends who left. And you better have some big bucks to be able to travel. Um, I have tried to stay close to my cousins. I'm texting them at night a lot. They live on the West Coast. So usually it's seven o'clock for me earlier in the day for them trying to make phone calls. But um, culturally in a bigger, you know, talking about the whole region, 
I don't have any idea. We were you when you and I were meeting a while ago. You were talking about that. I have no idea. West Virginia is down about twenty percent of its population. <clears throat> That's devastating. It's devastating for just a current time. But what are the ripple effects down the road um, for people who who stay versus people who go? And I, if, if I had left, I would have at least had my parents and grandparents here to come and visit. But a lot of people who leave, they're picking up whole families, it sounds like. The kids, the parents. What will that do to, you know, for a whole generation of Appalachians? And then something that you're not talking about, and this maybe goes with assimilation for other people who are coming here in our region, you know, more flatland or foothills of the Smoky Mountains, we're seeing a big influx of people from California kind of climate refugees. And that's another reason that I think the whole idea of diaspora is real important in this collection. Uh, maybe this collection could help people from other places understand the culture here. I don't know. But um, we're trying to make room for other people here. So I think that maybe in West Virginia, maybe even in rural places, people from elsewhere will come in. But that's always been America, right? That's why I always tell people, Appalachia is not other America. Appalachia is on the front lines of America. Anything you see in politics today, we're living that front lines. So um, yeah, holler and the whole idea of just ranting about what what we've lost um there's no way there's no it's it's incalculable right yes it's really absolutely. incalculable absolutely we're speaking with author susan odell underwood she is the author of a variety of different chapbooks of poetry as well as the novel genesis road we're talking to her today about her brand new collection of poetry. It's called Splinter. And Susan, we'll come back to the uh, collection of poems in just a second. But I wanted to ask you, um, as a novelist and, and as a poet, and since you kind of bounce back and forth between both of those genres, who are some writers that influence you, inspire you, whose work that you sometimes find yourself going back to when you need sort of a creative spark? Who are some of those folks? I just have to give a shout out to the young people um, and I'm not that old, I'm just 60, but still writers in their 40s, um, 30s in Appalachia who are publishing books of poetry, publishing novels. I, I, you know, I should probably name some names, but just all of them. I want to embrace all of them. I try to friend as many writers from Appalachia on Facebook as I can. A lot of them are fortunate like I am and they're able to, you know, by hook or crook, the culture has changed. A lot of them are public school teachers, they're librarians in um, elementary school libraries. I think it's so wonderful that um, kids in colleges and high schools and elementary schools are seeing, oh, my teacher wrote a book. Um, so I'm reading every day something new. Um, but then, I, you know, a friend of mine, like Marianne Worthington, she turned 60 and published her first book. Those people are inspiring too. older women, older people in Appalachia who haven't maybe had the time. They had a career and they had kids. So I'm just turning to my peers 
uh, um, all around me in Appalachia and trying to catch up with some Appalachian reading I hadn't done before. I'll always come back to Cormac McCarthy, Fred Chapel, Lee Smith, um, just wonderful. You know, America is just now, I think, I think Barbara Kingsolver with Demon Copperhead is going to be really good for Appalachian writers because America's going to sit up and take notice like there are some great writers from the mountain south and the, and the, the mid Appalachians and the northern Appalachians too. I'm trying to get to know people in those areas too. You know, when we used to say Appalachia, we meant southern Appalachia. And now we're, I'm trying to get to know writers in New Hampshire, Ohio, Pennsylvania. And um, so th that really excites me. I, I'm happy with all, all the things I'm reading right now from my Appala Appalachian colleagues. Yeah, I, I think that is that is a great point. We <laughs> we have so many wonderfully talented writers that are doing Absolutely. so many interesting things. Like yes. everybody is not writing the same story. They're not writing not a poem. They're not writing the same novel. I mean, but it, it's it's so wonderful and it's so Appalachian in so many ways that it, yeah, you're right. It, it's just terrific. It's just a terrific but we got some terrific momentum going on in the literary arts in this area. Yeah, sure. yeah you, you said it really well. That's a perfect way to say it. <laughs> so I want to ask you, you know, when, when people hear the word poetry, oftentimes they kind of <laughs> make a face or they, <laughs> they turn their nose up or they think back to those, uh, those experiences in elementary school or middle school or where they were trying to read Shakespeare's sonnets in high school or something like that. What is something uh, on the positive side about poetry. It could either be the form itself, it could be uh, writing it, it could be reading it. What, what is something positive you wish most people understood about poetry that maybe they don't know when they just hear that word mentioned? What, what is something that, that you'd like to mention that, that's positive about it, about either reading it or writing it or studying it that you'd like people to know before they kind of turn their nose up when they hear the word poetry? <laughs> Well, you know, again, I'm kind of go back, go back and forth between the personal and then the universal or the huge. I just kind of innately, like a lot of people do, just started writing poetry when you're like eight or nine years old. A lot of people do that. And then some people kind of drop that and don't continue it through high school and college. Those of us who do, I remember being in college and finding out that poetry is the oldest written literary form. Well, that's for a reason. It's very innate. It's very natural. Um, so I would tell people, don't be afraid. I think it comes from a very native kind of primitive place in people to write poetry and love it, just like music, you know, and you may not understand music sometimes. Uh, another way to get into poetry or think of it positively, I know there are people out there who will sing the lyrics to the same, whether it's Taylor Swift or R.E.M. or whoever the music is. Well, you know, you get pulled into that and you sing that song over and over and over again. And then on the hundredth time, you're like, oh, that's what she's singing about. But people expect a poem to just have an instantaneous gratification. No, it's more like a song. It's more like something you kind of maybe need to come back to over and over again. Also, if people are scared of poetry, my mom and dad were kind of freaked out when I first told them, like, I really like writing poetry. You know, that's scary to kind of say to always, always look around my class and say, there's a closet poet in here somewhere, you know, because <laughs> a lot of teenagers write poetry and they don't want to tell anybody 
if your child is writing poetry, that's not a scary thing. But my dad and mom both told me they did not understand my poetry until the first time they came and heard me read it out loud. Honestly, if you want to get to know poetry, go to a poetry reading. I really think that that's, you know, it'll look like a bunch of kind of hippie people, maybe in a bookstore somewhere. Go on in and just listen. I think it's much more meaningful. It lifts off the page and in that way really is more like a song in some ways. Um, but then you can also take it home with you and read it later, you know, so you can enjoy it in your own voice, in privacy, but you can also go, there are so many great Appalachian poets giving readings all over the place. Go find you a bookstore and pop in there. So Excellent, excellent point. Very well said. Susan Odell Underwood, we're speaking with her on this episode of Now Appalachia. The title of her latest collection of poems is called Splinter. So Susan, I wanted to go back to the collection in the few minutes we have remaining here. Um, I know this is a, sometimes a difficult question to ask a poet because it's almost like asking someone to, to pick their favorite child. But if you had to pick a favorite poem in the collection, what is one that, that you really like or you look back on and think, you know, that poem still sticks with me, despite the fact I wrote it, revised it, and it's now in the collection? What, what would you say is one of your favorites, maybe your favorite poem in the collection? Well, I, re I really like the poem Diaspora. I really do. Um, I've talked to older women in my family used to talk about childbirth a little bit too much, maybe. <laughs> um, and they honestly, a lot of times said, you know, my friend who had a hard time or I had a hard time, the baby they had the hardest time with, or even mothers years later, like that child was my hardest child to raise. And they're my favorite. Diaspora took me a long time to write. I had to wrestle it and hog tie it and, you know, kind of beat it up with a stick a little bit. And um, I really feel like it's my favorite. Now, other people's favorite is going to be Holler that you that you read a little bit from a while ago that I've read. That actually is recorded and is um, on file at the Smithsonian. I've read that at a couple of um readings and it got recorded one time uh it's also a broadside so it comes in many forms i've read it at the bijou theater in knoxville um so it's other people's favorites and it ought to be my favorite i feel kind of guilty that it's not but it came so easily to me i always give my students um, a writing assignment pick a poem and use the first lines and kind of spin off of that and of course, Holler is a takeoff on Allen Ginsberg's Howl. This is my Appalachian Howl. It's called Holler. Um, but it just rolled out of me, you know, and it takes about 10 minutes to read. So it's a, it really is a rant. But, but those two are the first two poems in the book. Um, so I, I, I kind of, I like that pairing. Um, anyway, the one I've had the most success with and then the little, the shorter one that's probably my favorite. So. Well, speaking of giving a reading, what we like mm -hmm. to do anytime we have a poet on the program mm -hmm. is we like to close out our interview with giving you an opportunity to read a poem to the audience just so they get a sense of uh, kind of your your style and your language and, and what is kind of contained within 
the spine and within the uh, covers of the book and within the pages. And so we'll turn it over to you. And uh, thank you for letting me pick the poem, by the way, and let me <laughs> pick you. one of my favorite poems. Uh, see, you get some privileges when you're the host of your sh of the show. You get to <laughs> you get to pick the poem you want to hear read. So thank you for letting me do that. Uh, but we're going to turn the uh, the floor over to you for a moment and let you read that poem, and then uh, we'll we'll come back and finish up our interview. So we'll turn it over to you now. Well, thanks. And you picked just a perfect poem, I think. Um, I don't think I could have written Genesis Road about fertility issues if I'd had my own child or ever struggled with that. Sometimes it takes a distance to uh, write fiction. This poem, Cross Stitch, is about being crossways in life and the expectations of other people. All the women in my family wanted me to be able to sew, but I'm left-handed and they wanted me to have a baby and I didn't do that. And I kind of pulled those two things together in one poem, cross stitch. I broke a thread across their names, no children of my own. Maybe they looked ahead and saw that loop that led only back to myself, a knotted dead end. Why teach a space-age girl to use a thimble, thread a bobbin? They knew I'd never need a quilt frame or embroidery hoop. Their self-fulfilled prophecy, I can barely mend a rib or sew a button on. I make a crooked hemline. Here I am, the clumsy drop stitch, left-handed dupe, unteachable. I was too contrary to spend my lifetime handing down their seamless lifeline a warp in the pattern of kin. Wonderful. Oh, it's just, it's just, it's just wonderful. And that is just a, a small sampling of, of the writing and storytelling that is taking place within all of these poems. And so Susan, my final question to you today, if anyone wants to get in contact with you to, to stay in touch with you um, about Splinter and about other writing projects that you have coming up, uh, how can they stay in contact with you first of all? And then where can they get copies of Splinter and Genesis Road and some of your other works? Shout out to my wonderful publisher, Madville Publishing. Um, Kim Davis and all her crew and thank you to Linda Parsons the editor of Splinter who, she's just such a great doula and midwife to so many literary people in our area um, I have a website SusanOdellUnderwood.com it's a mess right now I need to work on that also I'm on Facebook friend me on Facebook please I'd love for you to reach out to me and then maybe we can connect by email um, I still also have an email address at Carson Newman University, even though I'm going to be retired. Hopefully I'll be emeritus professor someday and keep my uh, email address there. So that'd be sunderwood at cn.edu. So thank you for everybody listening and please support your indie bookstores and your small publishers like Madville. Absolutely. The title of the book we have been talking about today, the title of the collection of poems is called Splinter. Our guest has been Susan Odell Underwood. She's the author of Splinter. She's also the author of the terrific novel Genesis Road, as well as two other chapbook uh, collections of poems. And she is now the recently retired professor and director of the creative writing program at Carson Newman University in Tennessee. Susan, congratulations on this terrific collection of poems. And I think Folks that are wanting to connect with Appalachia or reconnect with Appalachia on a variety of different levels are going to love this collection of poems. It's just, it's, it's wonderful. It's a, a great addition 
uh, to Appalachian literature and congratulations on it. And thanks for coming on the show. And thanks for the conversation. Thank you so much for this opportunity. This was a great way to send off Splinter into the World. You're my first event, and I really appreciate it so much. Well, my pleasure having you on. And we want to take a moment uh, as we finish up and wrap up this episode of Now Appalachia to give a special shout out to our executive producer of the program. Her name is Pam Stack. She makes sure all of these podcasts are up and available to you every time uh, here on our program, as well as all the other programs available to you on the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. So thank you, Pam, very much for that. We also want to remind you that this is a copyrighted podcast that is owned and operated by the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. And that is going to do it for us this time on Now Appalachia, but please come again next time. And in the meantime, stay well and see you someplace soon, I hope. You've been listening to Now Appalachia. This is a copyrighted podcast owned and operated by the authors on the Air Global Radio Network. For questions or comments about this program and to learn more about the host, Elliot Parker, and his books, visit his website at www.elliotparker.com. Stay tuned. More outstanding podcasts are coming your way next from the authors on the Air Global Radio Network.